0: Luke 16, verse 1 to 15. Jesus told his disciple, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 liters of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, "And how much do you owe?" 30 tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, "Take your bill and make it 24." The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, it will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the others. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight.
1: morning. Good morning! <laughs> Happy New Year everyone. My name is Benny. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's good to be able to see the Stanleys back here from Temple. Welcome back and a whole bunch of uh, new people here too. Uh, welcome to those of you who are here for the very first time. I wonder how you, uh, you celebrated your New Year. Uh, if you followed the uh, you know, Professor Spurrier's recommendations, you had a very, very, very quiet one all by yourself probably and sleeping rather early. Uh, We decided to go and and visit the uh, the fireworks. Don't worry, we didn't get any close to any crowds. We just found a little patch somewhere on a a road in a median strip, and then we saw saw the fireworks, which is kind of great. Now, I wonder how you felt when we uh, we read the Bible reading today, uh, because there's some really interesting stuff in this passage, isn't there? I wonder how you feel. Uh, did, Did Jesus really say that was Okay. Uh, there were a few questions when I was preparing this passage here today. So, uh, and in, I reckon there's there's this there's this uh, uh, likelihood that we can think that it's all about how we use our money, which is kind of almost fitting uh, when it comes to our new year, new first Sunday of the new year. Is is God really telling us the thing that He wants us to think about most is how we spend our money? Is this what this parable is all about? Um, to give you a little bit of the uh, the ending uh, at the start i don't, i actually don't think it's about mainly about financial astuteness i think the biggest question in this parable is about which master is yours who is your master Is a big question that is being asked here so how about we pray together and then let's get stuck into god's word hopefully you'll have your your bible passage open in front of you let's pray father we give you thanks today that uh, you are indeed our master and Father, you are you're really keen to keep speaking to us, uh, to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to train us in righteousness. So Father, we pray that you would do exactly that this morning as we look at your really intriguing parable. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. While well, Jesus had been addressing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the previous chapter... And in various ways, I've been pointing out how people view worldly wealth. If you remember from last week, we thought about the sheep and the coins and the inheritance, all worldly things and wealthy worldly belongings that we had. Now we miss it in this translation, but the original word for wasting in verse 1 is the same as the word translated squandered in chapter 15. So in the same way the lost son squandered his wealth from the last chapter, uh, here is a manager who is accused of wasting or squandering the rich man's positions. So in our chapter today, here is a manager who is looking after a rich man's possessions, and he is quite lost. He is a sinner. Well, this manager or steward got busted, didn't he? The rich man heard some reports about him. Verse 1, and obviously believed them because he had already decided to terminate his employment. Verse 2, you cannot be manager any longer. Presumably because the rich man would like to see just how much of his possessions went missing, he's asked for an account from his manager. And the manager gets a little desperate. Verse 3, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg, he says in verse 3. He's not even thinking about applying for another managerial position, probably because he's about to get discredited, and no one's going to want to employ this guy. He looks at his scrawny arms and his light build, and he's thinking, I'm not giving myself much hope in the field of manual labor. doesn't seem to be any savings that he can draw on or a house that he can call his own because his mind is going to the reality of begging and he's too proud for that verse 4 he gets an epiphany I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here people will welcome me into their houses and he can just think you can just see the cogs turning in his mind He's wondering, what shall I do now to work out where I'm going to live in the future? I love how his plan is basically to mooch off other people, probably in the same way that he was sponging off the rich man. Before him were endless supplies of other people's couches that he could sleep on, endless boxes of pizza that he can share with his friends. And what he does next just confirms that the reports about him were accurate. The rich man is about to see more of his possessions go out the door. Verse 5, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Verse 6, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him take your bill and make it eight hundred. Well, it's a stock take sale, isn't it? Olive oil fifty percent off. Wheat twenty percent off. I assume that these weren't the only people who were owing the rich man money, and he actually went on and went ahead and slashed debts left, right and centre. Obviously, this isn't the right response. The right response would have been to confess to his wasting of his master's possessions and to repent unreservedly. Take a leaf from the lost son in the previous chapter. Swallow your pride and start begging to do some manual labor to work off the master's debt, even though he is scrawny. He is quite the contrast to that lost son, isn't he? But not entirely a contrast to the other lost son who remained with the father. This person here, this manager, was unrepentant. Which makes the following verses a surprise, to say the least. I drink for suspense. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Wait, what? Wasn't the master supposed to do something more severe, like get the authorities in, locking up in jail for stealing or something like like that? He's commending him? I mean, did he just clap and say, Too good. Too good, you got me. And it's not as if the rich man had forgotten or misjudged the ex-manager. It is at this point that he calls him the dishonest manager. Literally, the unrighteous steward. The unrighteous manager. What was he commending him for, we're asking. And even more surprising and possibly troubling... Is that Jesus doesn't seem to condemn the manager or the rich man he uses this parable instead to teach about being shrewd that is being astute or being smart the manager is an example of the people of this world who are shrewd in dealing with their own kind that is the master's debtors and he used worldly wealth that is the debt that was owed to gain friends for himself and likely lodgings when he's kicked out of his current one. Get this. If Jesus was correcting anyone, he was correcting his disciples, wasn't he? They presumably are the people of the light who aren't as astute with worldly wealth. They are the ones who aren't using their worldly wealth possibly to gain friends for themselves. Imagine that... During the Boxing Day sales, someone got caught hacking into Afterpay and skimmed some money each time there was a transaction. Turns out, it was one of the employees of the shop, and of course, what did the shop owner do? He fired him, right? But before the employee left, he got in contact with a bunch of customers, halved all their debts in return for favors, and when the store owner finds out, What does he do? He calls the police. Isn't that what he's supposed to do? Isn't that what justice looks like? Aren't you supposed to call the authorities, put that guy in jail, make sure he doesn't skim off any other afterpaying payments, especially yours? But he says, well done. It's like Jesus is saying, that dishonest crook. Well, he's more shrewd than you. (laughs) He's more shrewd than me. I wonder how you'd be feeling right now being compared like that. Well, I'll tell you that Jesus is saying this deliberately to make us hearers stop and to listen and to ask questions. If we feel like we're being compared to an unrighteous manager with his shady dealings and feeling the outrage that we're coming up short compared to him, then I think we felt the intended effect of Jesus' parable. Brothers and sisters, our world is better in this regard than us. If we are people of the light, that is, disciples of Jesus, then have we secured eternal dwellings? What does it mean to be shrewd with our worldly wealth to gain friends then? Well, I'm guessing this is where I might depart from other people's uh, understanding about this or views. That is, I don't think it's about using our money to make friends with unbelievers so they'd be willing to hear the gospel and eventually believe. I, I don't know whether you've ever heard this passage being translated or being, uh, being applied like that. You know, how do you make friends? What do you do is you use your money, your worldly wealth, get lots of friends so that they are more willing to hear the gospel and hopefully God might convert them. I, I don't, it might be an apt application for other parts of the Bible, even you know, later on in this passage, but I'm not sure whether this is what it's talking about here. That's because the big point here is to make sure we are welcomed into eternal dwellings, that is, into God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is not for our earthly friends to give. That's only for God to give. So I think the friends here is referring to God, actually. That is, use worldly wealth in a way that pleases God so we are welcomed into his eternal dwellings. Use worldly wealth in a way that pleases God, so we are welcomed into his eternal dwellings. It would be taking this parable way too far to think that we are to be dishonest like the shrewd manager and to use money to get favors from God. That's not what it's asking you to do. The point here is that money in earthly homes Are going to be gone eventually so what are the disciples doing to secure eternal dwellings even the dishonest manager knows to do something and the question to us is do we do we know to do something to secure eternal dwellings or do we think that we can hang on to our wealth forever I found it interesting as well that Jesus uses the example of a manager instead of the rich man in his parable. I mean, it's one thing to expect that the rich man uh, is to use worldly wealth in a shrewd way, and it's quite another for a manager or a steward to do so. I mean, it's not his money, right? The manager, the steward, it's not his money in the first place. Well, surprise, surprise, Jesus knows what he's doing because when we get to verse 10, it turns out that we're all stewards. So verse 10... Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? We are those who have been trusted with the very little, that is, the worldly wealth. It's not our wealth. Did you note know that? We have been entrusted with it. That is, it is God's wealth that he has entrusted to us. I think here, God is also the rich man, the master in the parable. Is he going to find out that we've been squandering his wealth, or will he find us being trustworthy and honest with it. My mom has this principle when, he goes, when she goes and stays with a, uh, in someone else's home. And, his, and her principle is to leave the place cleaner than how you found it. I don't know whether your mom's like that as well, or maybe you're like that as well. You go to someone's home, you use their, their belongings, you go to their home, uh, even Airbnb, and you leave it cleaner than the way you found it when you arrived. I know the dust was there when we came, but we will dust it better than where we, how we found it. Furniture, neatened up better. Pots, shinier. Dog, more behaved. Which must baffle the Airbnb people because they come in with a mop and a, and a broom and a vacuum cleaner and everything. And it's like, there's nothing to do. It's no wonder that my mom will probably have the highest rating on Airbnb, right? Mom is amazingly trustworthy with property that's not her own. And no one has ever had any trouble entrusting my mom with greater things. Well, God's got some greater things to entrust to his disciples. See, I take it here that true riches and property of our own is talking about God's kingdom again. That is, God isn't going to give us his kingdom if we haven't even been faithful with what he has already given us. That is his worldly wealth. Now, it's not as if God is rewarding people with the kingdom based upon their trustworthiness with worldly wealth. Uh, The next verses will uh, clear that up, so just hang on for a minute. Before we get there, we need to clear something else up. Jesus isn't expecting us to be dishonest or unrighteous in our shrewdness, but these verses here expect that we are to be trustworthy and honest with our handling of worldly wealth. And I think there's a bit of a comparison here. If the unrighteous, if the dishonest of this world, is really good with being shrewd with what's provided for them, then even more so should we be shrewd in our righteousness, in our trustworthiness, in our honesty. The way we use our money is informed by our eternity if we are seeking God's kingdom and confident of being resurrected into God's eternal dwellings, then we would use our wealth for kingdom purposes. And you've got to wonder, what does it look like? Like, how do you use, how are you shrewd with your things? How are you trustworthy and honest with your things? Well, I think the rest of Luke tells us a little bit about what that might look like. It's amazing, actually, once you start counting just how much Luke's gospel talks about money. It kind of makes you wonder what was one of the biggest struggles that they had in those days, and surprise, surprise, what's one of the biggest struggles that we have today, isn't it? What does it, what does it say? What does Luke say? The rest of Luke say about how is it that we are to be trustworthy and honest and to be a good steward and manager uh, with God's things. Well, chapter 12 talks about we are to give to the poor as, as we seek God's kingdom and dependent on his daily provisions. Uh, I'll let Simon tell you about the rich man and Lazarus next week. Chapter 14 tells us to hold meals for people who can't pay you back, knowing we are repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We look ahead at chapter 19, and we see Zacchaeus, who repays all the people he's cheated. He was lost, but now is found, it says. All examples of giving to others without expecting anything in return because God has given us much. Now I'm thinking about what that might look like today, and I've seen a whole bunch of examples like that actually in this, in this season. So during Christmas, during the New Year's, if you have opened up your home and shared your, your things, whether it's your food, whether it's your air conditioning, because it's important during this time, uh, with people who are in need or disconnected or feeling lonely, Then I think you're using and and you're being trustworthy with God's things. How about the hampers? For those of you who prepared hampers to be able to give out to people, give out to to our healthcare workers and those who are living by themselves, it's wonderful that you are sharing the things that God has provided you in this way. For those of you who shared the gospel with others, we've been entrusted with the gospel. For those of you who have shared it, not kept it to yourselves, but instead you have shared that with your family, with your friends, then that's an example, another example, of being honest and being trustworthy with God's things. And the opposite is right, isn't it? That is, I think if anything, this parable talks talks to us about, well, whether or not we need to repent of being untrustworthy with God's things if we have looked at our wealth if we looked at god's things and we've thought it's just mine hands off then we need to repent now this is what jesus then gets to the center of his teaching i think this is at the center of his parable and of these verses verse 13 he says no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, Jesus' parable is really about which master we serve. Do we serve God, or do we serve money? We certainly can't serve both at the same time. We have to choose. In fact, the loving one means that we despise the other, it says. And this puts the parable into perspective, doesn't it? It's not about using money well, or managing it honestly, though we are to do that. It's about way more than that. It's about reflecting what we love. If we love God only, notice I said only and not more, then we would use worldly wealth one way. If we love money only, notice I said only, and not both, then we would use worldly wealth another way. I remember being invited to, uh, to join my first beach mission uh, a while ago. This is during my university days, and uh, I-, I thought it was amazing. Like, uh, I-, I heard about the fact that we get to stay at a beach for 10 days, and. We get to stay in tents and hang out with teammates and, and, and do activities for people who are just holidaying. Sounds like a perfect way to spend a, 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 a holiday in a, in a summertime. It was truly humbling to see how the team members gave of their time to plan, to train, uh, to teach and to rehearse. Because, of course, if any of you have ever been to a beach mission, I know some of you have just come back from beach mission. Uh, If any of you have gone to one, you've noted just how much work it's required during the year leading up to be able to run that beach mission. So it was truly humbling to be able to see the team members do that. What I found the most surprising was that not only would they give of their time and effort, they were willing to pay for the privilege of doing it. And it wasn't a small expense. Like when you when you have to work out the cost of going to a campsite to pay for food, to pay for activities, so that they could give the gospel to people at that campsite free of charge, it really does rack up in terms of in terms of money and costs. It was not a small cost. But they wanted to do it. And they willingly did it because they wanted to give the gospel free of charge to people. It was so countercultural. I remember hearing that for the first time. I'm thinking, for all the people that I've seen who were volunteering for various things in community, they never paid for the privilege. It was always supplied to them. I mean, they gave up their time and their effort, but to pay for it as well, that was a big deal. But these guys did it willingly. They were the ones who would say, It is our privilege to use God's provisions for his purposes. Now that is one example of shrewd use of money and being trustworthy with God's things. I mentioned before that it was a stretch to think that God gives his kingdom as a reward to us. You know, you, <clears throat> as long as you spend the money well in his way and you do that really well, then he'll give you the kingdom as if it's one of those cause and effects. You do that and will reward you. It's not what the parable is talking about. Here, whether we are welcomed into eternal dwellings, verse 9, or entrusted with true riches, verse 11, it isn't based on how good we are with money. Instead, it is a result of whether we love God or not. If we do, then we will use money in a manner that reflects our certainty of eternal dwellings and true riches. Luke 18, and we, we read this out uh, during the, uh, just before the confession, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It tells us that what God wants is humble repentance and not arrogant donations. It doesn't matter how much you tithe. It matters about your heart. So being shrewd or trustworthy with money doesn't automatically get you into God's kingdom. It is humble repentance and trusting in Jesus that is, that is what's wanted by God. The shrewdness and trustworthiness is the result of trusting in Jesus. Ultimately, it is only Jesus who has perfectly been shrewd with his father's possessions, being trustworthy and honest to the utmost. It is Jesus who loved his father and despised money, which is really great news for all of us who struggle with this. If you struggle with making sure that you love God only and to keep loose with the wealth that he's given you, money and all other things, we need to know that it is Jesus who has loved his Father and despised money perfectly. We can depend on Jesus' righteousness, on his work, instead of justifying ourselves which is what the pharisees are doing in the next verses verse 14 the pharisees who loved the money heard all this and were sneering at jesus he said to them you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others but god knows your hearts what people value highly is detestable in god's sight because what they valued highly was not God. They tried to say that they valued God, but actually they were trying to value money as much as God. So friends, I I find it a bit telling that we reach this passage. I mean, for the rest of us, we know that we've been going through Luke. But it's interesting and telling that we get to this part of Luke on the first Sunday of the year. I mean, the rest of the world will be telling you, this is the year to invest really well. This is the year to to make some of your New Year resolutions. I wonder how you're going with that. What God is saying in this New Year is, who is your master? Who is my master? And he is asking specifically from this passage, will it be him? Or will it be money? Remember, right? The parable was all, the instructions here was all about the fact that people try to mix both. We can't. You will try. You might have tried. But you can't. You cannot serve both God and money. The question before us is, which will you choose? This is a new year. If you were to look at your bank records and your credit card statements, what would it tell you about your heart? What would it tell God about your heart? Great thing is, that was last year. What's it going to look like this year? Will it reflect your heart for God and God alone? Let's pray. Father, we give you great praise that we don't serve two masters, that we get to serve you only. For, boy, serving money would be awful. It is transient, it is fickle, it is totally unworthy of our worship. But, Father, you are totally other, you are trustworthy to the utmost. You are loving, you are giving, you are so generous. Just look at how much we have been provided even for today. We're not in need because you've been loving us all this time. And Father, we hear your call today. We hear your challenge. Will we trust you and you only? Or will we trust money? Father, convince us that we can't do both. And help us, Father, to trust in the only true God. That is you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.